right, Matthew chapter 19. Make sure all my stuff's in order. Starting verse 27. Let's read. Then Peter said in reply, you have to remember what happened last week. What is he replying to? We'll get to that. Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them, in, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out, about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go out into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and scorching heat. But he replied to, the, to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first lasts. God, thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, we just pray for your help in understanding it and receiving it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Peter begins here saying in verse 27, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Peter's commenting after Jesus has talked to the rich young ruler. If you remember, the rich young ruler, uh, Jesus was explaining his heart. Even though he had followed all the commandments, right? He had, he had um, Jesus gave him the easy, easier list. Uh, which really, to Jesus' standard, is still impossible. But the easier list of, of Ten Commandments, the, ha the second half having to do with our relationship with one another. But what he was lacking was the first half, his relationship to God, his heart to God. And, and Jesus exposed that by saying, here, if you really want to, to uh, have eternal life, if you want to have life, go sell everything that you have, all those things that have captured your heart 
give that to the poor and then come follow me. And Jesus just exposed what the issue was. His heart was for the things and not for God. And then Jesus is saying, well, it's harder for a rich person to, to enter into heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And the disciples are going, how, how can anybody be saved? Because they recognize that, that there's this thing that captures our heart in this world. In a sense, all of us are rich with the things of this world. Jesus said, what's impossible for man is possible for God. And now, Jesus, and now Peter's thinking about this going, wait, look at us. We left everything to follow you. What do we get? They're kind of going back to that same question of who's the greatest in the kingdom, right? It's kind of where we all go. Look at what I've had to do. Jesus, look at what I've given up for you, what, what I've suffered, and I've continued to be faithful. What do I get? And Jesus doesn't correct him right away. Jesus is going to teach him a lesson later, but it's interesting Jesus' response. In verse 28, Jesus says to them, to the disciples, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's going to teach Peter by first pointing him to this time. Uh, now, the, our translation has translated in the new world, literally in the Greek, it's, it's in the regeneration, is what Jesus is saying. In the regeneration, when Jesus is sitting on his glorious throne. You 12 will be judging the 12 tribes of Israel, sitting on thrones. Yes, Peter. There is something there. What is Jesus pointing at? What is he talking about? The regeneration. A time when Jesus will sit on his glorious throne. And, and as Jesus is pointing, pointing the disciples to this time, I think this is important for us because we, we deal with the same thing. What, have I, what do I get for what I've suffered? Jesus, that person hasn't had to suffer as much as me, right? We compare ourselves. With, and so I'm going to take a moment here to say, just to look at what we see from Scripture, a very high-level picture of, of the history of the world from the beginning to the end. We haven't reached yet, right? And this is... This is my own understanding, um, but I think it's going to be important for us to understand what Jesus is pointing to, to gain from it the same thing the disciples are. So if I go from the beginning, our projector lamp is getting old, sorry, and those, light, those windows are bright. At the far left in the green, that green bar is creation, right? It, we have at the beginning of the Bible, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Everything he created, it was good. And then... If you've heard the story of Adam and Eve, that, that's our ancestors. That's our great, great, greats to, to a lot of greats, right? Uh, they messed up. They disobeyed God, and that's the fall. That's the black, that first black column. And, and what happened in the fall 
uh, was a couple of things. So, so in the creation, God set us over uh, everything he created. We were given charge. We had dominion over all the land and, and animals and plants, and we were in charge. And we were image bearers of God given charge over everything he had created. Um, well, in the fall, everything that we were in charge of became cursed along with us. And Satan, the deceiver, the adversary, who was there deceiving Adam and Eve, he stepped into, into a position as ruler of this world, right? What's going to happen then? I've got man who was designed to rule this world living, along, living in sin, which the sin, God had already said, there's going to be death if you, if you disobey me. And, and certainly there was, there was death, but there was a, a spiritual death of separation from God. So now... These image bearers of God who are designed to live in fellowship with God are broken in that relationship, coexisting in this world with Satan as ruler of the world. How is that going to go? And we see that in the first 2,000 years, approximately, right? I think it's a little less than 2,000 years. But really what we see is the, where mankind goes, desperately evil. Their thoughts became became evil continually, right? That's where man will go in this condition with Satan as ruler of this world and us with a sinful nature inherited from Adam and Eve, broken in our relationship with God. And then in this timeline, each of these bars is a day of the Lord event, D-O-T-L, that's what that is, day of the Lord events, Right? A day of the Lord event is when God comes in wrath and judgment, right? It's, it's a scary day. It's a day of the Lord event. But the first day of the Lord event was just God destroying the whole world by flood, right? And along with these day of the Lord events, you, you actually see in Scripture something that's reminiscent of creation as well, starting over. So when, when we have the account of the flood right afterwards, what, if you just look at it, well, in creation, the whole world covered by water, right? And you have this, in the flood, the whole world's covered by water. And you have the repetition of the same mandates, go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? The, reiterating the dominion of man, God gives again to Noah and his family. You have rule of every plant, of every animal, right? He, Reiterating that, so you have kind of this, this fresh start, and, and in that time, though, in the next 2,000 years, God doesn't leave it like he did in the first section. In this section now, he creates a nation for himself, a people set apart, and he gives them the keys. He gives them, here's what it is to please God. Yes, you're living apart from God. You're living in a world alongside Satan as ruler of this world. But here's the things, and here's provision for forgiveness of sin through sacrifice of bloodshed of an animal. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no getting rid of sin. That's what we learned then. And in that time, you have God creating the people of Israel, the Jews. That's where they come from. God actually picked a person and created a nation out of him. Well, how did it go then? Not any better, right? Because there was still this sin 
problem, even though they had everything they needed to be able to choose life, they wouldn't choose it because of the sin in their heart. And it's the same problem we had. We weren't of the, unless you're Jewish, you might be Jewish. Most of us aren't. Uh, and so we're just still the, the evil nations alongside this nation that is a testimony of what is good and right and what God designed. So then at the end of that time, approximately 2,000 years, we have another day of the Lord event. The wrath of God coming upon the sin of mankind, but not poured out on the world, poured out on his own son. Jesus stepped into our place, went to the cross, so that the wrath of God that we deserved would be poured out on him. He'd take it for us. And that begins a new time. Now, Jesus came for the Jews first, right? But, but as the beginning of John says, uh, he came to, to, to his own first, but they received him not, right? But to those who do receive him, who believe in his name, and that includes everyone, praise the Lord, us too. <laughs> he gives the right to be called children of God. And so in a sense, we also have another creation event, but it's not a creation event in the world. It's a creation event in the heart of each person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, we become a new creation. And then there's this time, which Jesus calls the time of the Gentiles, or, or, or Paul refers to it in Romans as a time when the, the, when the Jews have been hardened. They, as a nation, even though individuals, they're Jewish, do receive Christ as a nation, they have rejected Christ. Um, and they believe the New Testament is anti-Semitic, right? They, they won't even read it. They do not want to touch anything having to do with Jesus Christ. And so this time, Paul refers to it as, as a time of the hardening of the Jews, and it will end with the fullness of the Gentiles. This is a time when the rest of the nations are, are coming to God, being reconciled to God, not by the law that was given to Jews, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, how long is this time going to be? This is where we're at. About 2,000 years? Seems to fit pretty well to me. You know, the, in the, the Torah, which is more the, the traditions of the Jews, different rabbis teaching, it's not scripture, um, they, they have in there this idea that, hey, in six days God created the world, and so in 6,000 years... The fall is going gonna, is gonna to work its way out. And what happens on the seventh day? It's a day of rest. And so there is this possibility in God's design that he is setting this up. Because there's this last day of the, well, not the next to last day of the Lord event is the one that's coming next for us. What's that going to look like? If anyone has ever mentioned, you know, what is the tribulation? That's the day of the Lord event that's coming, right? That's when Jesus will come in judgment. John the Baptist was a little confused because he knew Jesus was supposed to come in judgment, and he, that was part of his, his message. And Jesus, are, are you really the one? Because you're just healing people. Well, Jesus is coming in judgment, and it's, it's kind of the, the nature of these things is you don't necessarily see when there's a separation. You see things as one event and realize later, well, they... They're broken up a little bit. And so 
Jesus is coming in judgment. And that's going to be at the tribulation. That could be any day. But it's going to be a, uh, an event that takes seven years. Seven years really isn't a long period of time. Uh, we've lived in Texas for nine years now, right? Uh, we've already done more than half of seven years in the history of this church. Now there's different ideas from different people on whether we would be, if that was to happen tomorrow, is Jesus going to take us before that happens? Is he going to take us in the middle of when that happens? Or is he going to just wait and take us at the end should we survive? Um, we're going to get into that. Make sure you come back when we get later into Matthew. Um, but the Day of the Lord event is happening, coming up, where God will pour out judgment on all the nations. And then that leads into a time described as a thousand years. And at that Day of the Lord event, Satan is going to be locked up. He's going to be chained up. And so he will no longer be allowed to deceive the nations during that thousand years, and Jesus will reign on his glorious throne. Right? And then there's another Day of the Lord event that happens at the end of that, the final judgment. And after that is eternity. Everyone, the, the way, the way uh, Paul describes it in the book of Acts, everyone is raised from the dead, right? The, when you get to that final day of the Lord event, everyone is raised into eternal bodies and either goes to eternity in heaven or if their name, if they never put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, eternity in hell, the lake of fire, the same place that Satan is finally thrown on the last day of the Lord. There we have the timeline. So Jesus is telling Peter and the disciples in the regeneration when Jesus is going to sit on his glorious throne then you 12 are also going to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I drew on this picture. You're like, how do you know it goes like that? Especially when you're dealing with things that are in the future that haven't happened yet. As we go through Scripture, Scripture is true and right. If it fits, it fits. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So as we deal with these things, we always look. Does this fit, right? Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. John the Baptist had it a little bit wrong, right? But if it fits, that's how we know. So how would I know what Jesus is talking about here is that thousand years. Look real quick with me at Revelation chapter 20. That's where we talk about, that, where it's talked about, uh, that thousand years. And this is John writing from a vision that he's being given. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. All right. Here's where we get it. Satan being bound for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until... The thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. That's the final day of the Lord event, right? 
Then, he says, I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. There's a strong connection. Jesus on his glorious throne. And those seated on thrones um, to whom authority to judge was committed. So Jesus is pointing forward, saying, Peter, disciples, look at what's coming. Look at the glory of what's coming. And he's answering Peter's question, what then will we get? But he continues, he doesn't just talk about the disciples in that time. Go back to Matthew. In verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake. So many testimonies, if you look back in history, of what faithful believers have left and given up to follow Jesus. They will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. They'll receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So much greater what we have to look forward to. I'm going to go out of order on my slides there, John. You have to chase me down. The first point, there's an equation for us to remember when things get tough. Times 100 plus infinity. God, why do I have to endure this? God, uh, why are you you're leading me to give this up? Or God, because I'm following you, this is breaking apart this friendship or, or this part of my family or whatever it is to follow Jesus, there's a cost to it. But what Jesus is saying here, look towards that glorious time when Jesus will reign. And everyone who has given up, whatever it is, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. We'll live forever. That goes into the, after the next day of the Lord. There's a lot of information in Scripture actually telling us about what that thousand years is going to be like. There's also information about what the, what the final eternal state, is one way they refer to it, is going to be like. And they're different. Sometimes you have to just like we did, fit the pieces. What's this talking about? Is it talking about the thousand years or the other one? But, but Jesus said, just look at this thousand years, what it's going to be like. You're going to be there. And everyone who has given up anything for my name's sake is going to receive back a hundredfold. What does that even mean? Not going to receive back a hundred mothers that you've given up, but, but, but what, what, what was the, the cost of that to you? How much hurt was it? How, how, how difficult was that? That God knows that. I can't imagine what it's going to be like. But we should try to meditate on it. 
That's what Jesus wants us to do. Look back at the, you do the picture of, that was in the background. It's a temple mount. Uh, this is looking from the Mount of Olives at the temple mount. You see a little dome up there the, surrounding that? that that's, the, that's the temple mount. This is, where, this is where Jesus was sitting up on this hill looking at that when he was telling his disciples how the temple was going to be destroyed, right? Predicting what happened in 70 AD. This in, in the foreground is, is a burial ground, a Jewish cemetery, and they, they bury them with their feet facing towards the temple because they, they believe that ultimately Messiah is coming, they're going to raise from the dead, and they don't have to turn anyway. They can just walk straight towards the temple, right? It was from this side that Jesus came when he entered Jerusalem. We're going to get into that later when he enters Jerusalem uh, to go to the cross. The design that God has put into Scripture is that when the, when the glory of the Lord leaves the temple, it goes east. And when it returns, it comes back from the east, right? Exile is to the east. The return comes back from the east. And Jesus is, is, is prophesied as coming back from the east. And what's described is incredible. What's going to happen during that tribulation? I think it largely has to do with turning the hearts of the Jews back to God. It's going to be terrible for the Jews in that time. And what's described in, in Zechariah about what's happening with the Jews, I, I think we're going to see the Jewish nation come back to strength, right? The temple rebuilt. When Jesus comes back into the temple, the glory of the Lord comes back to the temple, it's not going to be anything like we see there. It's going to be a new one. And, and what happens to the Jews in that time is, is described in Zechariah as, as just they've been overcome that in, during, during the, the tribulation where, where half of the nation is, is, is sent out and is, is in exile. They've escaped the city. And there's half that remain, but the, the half that remain, they're being plundered and raped. And, 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 and their things right in front of them are being divided among those who are plundering everything that they have. And then the song that we were singing earlier is a song that Israelites would sing about his faithfulness, right? I look, keep, I lift my eyes up to the Lord as they would travel towards the temple. That would be a song that they would sing along the way as they lift their eyes up to the hills. To, and this is where my help comes from. And there will be a time where they're going to be crying out to God to help them. And he will hear them. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Here it's described in Zechariah what's going to happen Chapter 14, verse 3. There's a whole lot more in Zechariah. We don't have time to get into it. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. That's what we just saw the picture from. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. 
So that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward, and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. What's happening there? Remember the Exodus where Jesus saved his people out of Egypt? And he, he parted the sea so they could walk through. He's parting a mountain. That, <laughs> the Mount of Olives there, Jesus is going to come in and he's just going to split it. Half of it moving north, half of it moving back to, so that there's this valley that goes to this place that they're going to flee to. And we have Marvel movies, right? And, and these superheroes that are just cheap imitations of a godlike figure that's selfish and, and, and not good in their heart, right? They're cheap. They're imitations. They're thin. Jesus is God. And it's going to be so much greater than anything man has been able to picture in a, in a fictitious movie. When Jesus comes in and splits that mountain and his people escape to the east, and then what's going to happen? Then the Lord, my God, will come, end of verse 5, and all the holy ones with him. Go to Revelation chapter 19. I think that's what fits here. The gathering of, of, of the armies of God are, are who? The saints clothed in, in linens of righteousness from Jesus, right? That, that's us coming with Jesus to fight for Israel to fight against the nations of the world. And Jesus is going to set things right. And then it says in verse 6, On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. What is going on there? What is this unique day? There's not, day, there's not light, uh, cold, or frost, uh, not day, not night. When we look through Scripture and see what is it going to be like in the thousand years, Jesus is going to reverse the curse. It says the wolf and the lion and the lamb and the calf are all going to just lie down together. The, the, the animal kingdom is going to be fundamentally different. That for, for a person, it says a young person will die at a hundred that means at 100, you're still young. The, the effects of the curse that we've been living under, Jesus, this is a creation event. And, and it's reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1. Neither, neither night nor day. There's going to be a day of, of reset. Jesus, is the creator, is going to be there, and he is going to be doing something that's going to have fundamental changes to the way things are. I don't know if that means um, the way physics goes, but, but it's going back to what was before the fall. And so for a thousand years, and I think that's what Jesus is saying, in the regeneration, we already have regeneration now within our, within our hearts, but he's going he's gonna, to bring about regeneration in the world. And we're going to live there. Can you imagine living in this world without the curse? 
I can't imagine what that's going to be like. And, and, and this, this mountain's going to be split. Uh, verse 8, on that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, as in there will be no end to this, to this fountain. There isn't going to be a dry spell. There's going to be luscious gardens there in Jerusalem. And, and just here's just another, another thing where it fits in the final New heaven and new earth in the eternal state, there is no sea. This is talking about the thousand years. This is still on this world. It's water going out to the Dead Sea in one direction and out to the Mediterranean in the other from Jerusalem. Picturing ultimately what will be the final, final eternity where there is no temple, but living waters flowing and the tree of life there. That's going to be the final state. But even just here, for us to just imagine what it's going to be like. And then finally, verse 9, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. Jesus will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. There will be no, who's your version of Jesus? What, what do you think God is? What is your religion? Jesus is going to be ruling. There's no other religions. It's, it's going to be the Lord is right there. He is ruling. And who's going to be there? We're going to be there in glorified bodies. But the Jews are going to be there, not in glorified bodies. The nation that just got rescued. And the nations, we see other, in, uh, other places in Zechariah, the, the, those who survived of the nations. They're going to be required to come to the temple once a year uh, for the Feast of Booths. Maybe Elon's rockets will have a use for that and shuttling people. That, I don't know if they will even exist at that point. Try to imagine it. That's what Jesus wants us to do. And in that time, no matter what, what has cost you? What have you given up? To follow Jesus, he says, you will receive back in that time a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So remember the conversation. All right. Jesus has directed their attention there, and now he's going to speak to their heart. He's going to speak to our hearts as we struggle. God, why, why does it cost me this and it doesn't cost them, right? What am I going to get for what I've given up? Verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. He's going to say, okay, here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Master of a house went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, that's a day's wage, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, the Jewish timekeeping is sun up to sundown. So third hour would be after 6 a.m. is about 9 a.m., right? So about the third hour is 9 a.m. Um, uh, I just lost my place. Yeah, I saw this anyway. 
And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, 9 a.m. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, whatever is right, keep in mind, God does what is right according to God. Whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again the sixth hour, so that's noon, and the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. He did the same. And about the 11th hour, so 5 p.m., he went out and found others standing. He said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, right, 6 p.m., 12-hour day, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Here's a clue of the meaning, right? And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius, a day's wage. And now when those hired first came, they thought, oh, well, they got a denarius. I'm going to get a whole lot more because I've been here all day long. They thought they'd receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked one, only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did I not agree? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. So Peter's, in his heart, comparing. Look at how much we have given up. What's Jesus preparing Peter for? Peter, who has given up probably more than most that he will lead in his lifetime later as, as the church begins who, as church tradition says, ultimately was crucified, and he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified like his Lord, and so they crucified him upside down, right? He would give up a lot more than most. But Jesus was setting his heart right. And, and the most obvious thing here, just as, a, as the truth of this passage comes out, here's our second point. Our king, think of Jesus that way, our king gives abundant grace as he chooses. And it's a gift. In, the, in this example, Jesus is just showing, hey, he's choosing whether, whether you've been a faithful, sacrificial follower for the whole of your life or you come to know Jesus right at the very end of your life. He is going to bestow grace upon you. And he gives it abundantly. And he is the one to choose what to do with his grace. See, our natural tendency is to demand fairness, right? Compensation. I did more. I should get more. And we compare ourselves to each other, right? My labor, or I'm more talented. I should get more for that talent, right? My commitment was higher. That person was hardly committed at all. Remember the equation that we're, we're living in? What do we get from God? Times a hundred plus infinity. You don't want fair. What's fair? 
Romans 6, 23. Here's, here's the fair wage. For the wages of sin is death. There you go. There's fair. I don't want fair. It's by God's grace that I have anything. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter if you've been the faithful servant for your whole life or someone who comes to the Lord right at the end of your life. God's offer of salvation is there. What should our attitude be? Verse 15, Jesus asked him, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? My heart needs to be where Jesus' heart is. What is Jesus' heart? What happens when a sinner repents in heaven? Is rejoicing. I should rejoice when I get to participate in God's grace. Peter, having suffered much, having, having left much, and now going to be a pillar for the church, is going to enjoy and rejoice at every sinner that repents. It's not about what do I get compared to them. It's rejoicing in the bestowing God's grace and being a part of it. Maybe I, I can be the one that's first so that I can prepare to be a part of the salvation in the lives of those that come last. And I can be there with Jesus celebrating as they enter the kingdom and then I'll come along behind. That's a whole different perspective, a whole different idea. Here's the last point that kind of, I think, gets it for me. Sometimes I get to be last. You think of it that way? Sometimes I get to be there as an instrument of God's grace. Say, here, look. Enjoy the fullness of the joy that's in Christ. But does Christ know the things that we suffer? Yes, he does. Will Christ recognize that? Yes, he does. At a hundredfold in a thousand years. But God wants to bestow grace, his full grace, upon anyone who will turn to him. And that is for you too. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how good a Christian you've been. The offer of salvation in Jesus Christ is there fully as a free gift. What if God should use my life to bring about salvation and blessing for the most undeserving person I know? Who's that person for you? Who's the most undeserving person you know? Sometimes we realize it's me. But if I realize that, then it helps me when I think of that other person that I have a hard time with. Oh, the glory of God's grace to see a life changed, to see that impossible person. 
No, they do not deserve God's grace, but neither do I. That's the heart of God's grace. See, the economy of the kingdom is upside down from our thinking. The last will be first, the least the greatest. It is an economy of abundant grace. It's not what I've earned. It's not, you know, God, you really need me. Look at my resume. No, it's his abundant grace over and over and over again, and that's what we're working with. And, 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 and it's not about, okay, here's what, what will I get? It's no, how can I be a part of that? Be an instrument of your grace. Second Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I want to follow that example. The first will be last, the last will be first. And sometimes I get to be last. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I look forward to the day that we get to stand in your presence as you just bring regeneration to this world that's broken, that is suffering as birth pangs, awaiting the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will make all things right. You will rule in justice and righteousness. And you will reward those who have given up for you. God, don't, don't let us get caught up in trying to find reward in this time, in this broken time. Let's, let us set our hopes on what we will have with you in the millennium, in the thousand years, and then forever after. Lord, help us to set our hope on that. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that even now we can live and have life, true life, because of your grace. We love you, Lord Jesus. Guide us as a church. Guide us individually. We want to walk in a life that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Great thou art, then sings my soul. 
his son not sparing, send him to die. I scarce can take it that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. Shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, My God, I pray thou Jesus comes, we'll have to sing, um, now Christ has come, <laughs> to our shouts of acclamation, right? It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. I love you, church. Go in the Lord. 